Welcome to the morning community of Northridge Vineyard. Our deepest desire is that you will encounter Jesus as you listen in to our morning gathering. If you'd like to find out more about us, check out our website, northridge.org.au forward slash mornings. This Sunday we're very pleased to uh, welcome Paul and Sue Cohen. Um, uh, Paul regularly speaks at Brit Chadasha. Did I say that correctly? Uh, thank you. I've been practicing. Uh, which, is, which is a community that um, we, we love to sort of walk alongside. Harry and uh, Zelda Hammond, many of you know them, uh, began that group a number of years ago. Um, and it has a real heart both to, um, I guess, celebrate the, 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 uh, the Jewishness, if I can put it that way, um, of, of Jesus uh, and his life and uh, an understanding of our faith through that lens, but also to reach out to those in, um, in our community who are Jewish with the good news. Um, and I'm sure uh, Paul will tell us a little bit more about that. Why don't you come and stand with me? We'd love to pray for you, Paul. Sure. Lovely to have you with us this morning. Do you have a microphone? You're going to take this one. Do you want to get yourself rigged up? That's probably the best. Let's do that. Um, so, yeah, so it's, it's lovely to have these guys with us. Let me, that's upside down at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> Here you go. Um, I was actually here for the Passover um, meal that we had around Easter time, uh, which Paul led us in. Who was here for the Passover? So some of you would have uh, seen Paul, and if you haven't met him already, um, let's pray for him as he gets himself set up there. That's wonderful. No, no, let me turn that on for you. There we go. And you should be on. Wonderful. Not yet, but Not there. there we go. We are on. Excellent. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for Paul and Sue joining us this morning. We pray for your blessing on Paul as he comes to speak. Lord, we thank you for your word and for the way that it both reveals and encourages. We ask both that you would encourage him, but also you would empower his words, that you would speak into our hearts this morning. We bless him now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I assume that's my... Well, let me talk a little bit about uh, the ministry that I'm involved with just for a brief moment. It's called Celebrate Messiah. Now, that, that should be obvious what it's about. It's about celebrating Jesus. Most Jewish people will read the five books of Moses, but not beyond that. So they don't know who Jesus is, because Jesus is revealed in every book of the Bible. But in many of the passages, you will not quite see him unless you go to passages like Isaiah 53. Now, most Jewish people don't read that. And so there is special literature that we, you know, engage with that tells you about Jesus in the Old Testament. Uh, Psalm 22, for instance. And so we have the Hebrew text, we have the English text, so that they know when we're not just making it up. Because most Jewish people will say, you're making it up. He is not in my Bible. And so that's one of the things that we do. The other thing that we do is we take tours to Israel. Now, how many of you have been with me to Israel? Okay, only one. Okay, that's terrible. How many of you have been to Israel? Now, that's fantastic. Now, you haven't gone with me, so next year, come with me. It'll be a month. I'm just kidding. But it is seeing the land, the geography, the history. Suddenly, the Bible becomes... 3D. And so, for those of you who can't go, we do sell also a little book that I have with me with photos of the land of Israel. 
will afterwards talk to me about it, and I'll share some more about the ministry at that point. But I was asked to speak about 1 Peter chapter 4, and let's be honest, that's not an easy chapter to speak on. If I had to pick a chapter, it would be something from the book of Psalms about joy and happiness and gladness, but these verses that I've been given are about suffering. Now, how many of you want to suffer? Well, that's the wrong attitude, brothers. <laughs> Forgive me, but it really is, because if you want to understand the life and ministry of Jesus, it's suffering. If you want to understand it from an Old Testament perspective, as I often go there, I look at the life of Moses. What did he do? Suffer. Consistently, they said to him, hey, who do you think you are? Who made you a prince and a ruler over us? Eleven times in Exodus and Numbers, they rejected him over and over again, as they did with Jesus, as they did with Paul and Peter. And so when we come to these passages, they should not come as a surprise to us. The other thing that he talks about is serving. And if you want to be great in the kingdom, what do you got to do? Serve. So these are vital passages. So who of you want to suffer? Okay, a few hands go up. Yes, Lord. I don't have to preach my message anymore. I can just sit down now. It's a simple outline that I have for you. And the outline will tell you a little bit where I'm going with this. And the first bit that we want to address is those opening words that we have. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange things were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the suffering of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. If you were reviled or are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. Next slide. That's the, thank you. That's the outline for the first little bit that I'm going to talk about. He starts off with beloved. Some translations will say friends. That's okay. But it's the word beloved. He suddenly takes a step back from I'm the apostle, as he started off with at the beginning in chapter 1. But he now says, I'm one of you, beloved, closer than a friend. Let me share with you what is on my heart. Because they had written to Peter, the apostle to the Jews, and said, a strange thing is happening, Peter. We thought that Jesus came, he was the king, now the kingdom is going to be installed. So all is good, because in the Old Testament, the kingdom is a good place. So why are these bad things happening? He uses the word fiery ordeal. Uh, burning, literally. Burning ordeal is what it says. Uh, that's uncomfortable language for us. But most of us here in the West, here in Australia certainly, uh, we've not experienced that kind of rejection. This kind of rejection happened at that time. Nero is the emperor in Rome. And Nero wanted to update Rome. And so he went to the Senate and he said to the Senate, I want to get rid of these old little buildings and build beautiful places. And the Senate said, no way. So what did he do? 
He burned the place down. And the senate didn't like that, and he went, okay, how do I get around this? And so he started accusing this new Jewish sect that had come along. You see, Christians are not separated yet fully from Judaism at this point. It's too early in the faith. Most of the Christians that are around are still connected to the Jewish roots and the Jewish background. And so Nero comes now up against these Jews and these Christians. And what does he do? He burns them. And that's why Peter uses this word, burning ordeal, the fiery trial that will come upon you. I don't know about you, but I've not been tested to that point. But he's warning that this is coming, that fiery ordeal. It is for your testing. Why does God need to test us? Doesn't he know we love him? Faith is produced under testing. It'll produce perseverance. And that's what we need. We need to persevere in the faith, to stand with him in all things that are happening. As though it is a strange thing. Well, it isn't, Peter. is writing to us, it isn't a strange thing. Why not? Look at the life of Job. Look at the life of David. Look at the life of any Old Testament saint. They were tested to see if they could stand to trial. You see, what we want is glory, and we want it now. But glory will only come through dying to self. It will come by standing true in the faith and holding on to everything that God has said. But in your sufferings that you suffer with him, Keep on rejoicing. So what should our response be when we suffer? And what do we do? We pity party, don't we? Uh, If you're like me, I'll be honest. I sit at the bottom of my stairs and I go, Lord, it's not fair. I didn't want this. But he tells us here so plainly, when these things happen, rejoice. That's okay once in a while to complain. When you read through the book of Psalms, what do you see? Most of them are lament psalms, but many of them also end on a word of praise, saying, hey, Lord, these things are happening, but I will praise. I will stand in you. And if you're reviled for the name of Christ, we sung about that. And what is his name? You call him Jesus, right? But that wasn't really his name. His name was Yeshua. And that makes sense when you know what the word Yeshua means, salvation, because he came to save. That's what he did amongst you and me. And that's why we are called to give praise, because we are saved by his glory and his might, not by what we've done. And as such, we are blessed. It links back to the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, doesn't it? If we suffer, we are blessed. It was clear then, and Peter now has to remind these, this is what will happen to you. Let's look at that next slide. That's for the next section, so we'll skip that for a minute. Let me read verses 15 to 19. 
Make sure that none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he's not to be ashamed, but he is to glorify God in this name. That's a repeat. Did you hear that? For it is time that the judgment begins with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it's difficult for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the godless and the sinner? Therefore, those who also suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Hmm. Remember David, the sweet psalmist, the man after God's heart? What did he do? He lusted after that woman, Bathsheba. And then he took her, as if to say by force. And what did he do then? I did not have sexual relationships with that woman. He denied it for almost nine months. Not only that, when he did become aware of that it's going to be revealed, he called back Uriah, a man who had left his faith community, the Hittites, the Philistines, the Canaanites, these horrible people, and had joined the people of God, and he had him murdered. And he kept stum for nine months. He did not say anything until Nathan came along and he broke down. If you suffer because of those kind of things, it's on you. And that's what we see with the life of David. Uh, The next chapters in his life are all about David's suffering as a result of that event. And so Peter here writes to us, make sure that you don't suffer as a murderer. Exodus 20 clearly tells you don't murder. As a thief, Exodus 20 again, within the Ten Commandments, don't steal. As an evildoer, this is covering general things as evil. In other words, you you can either be a doer of good or a doer of evil. And if that's you, then you suffer on your own account. Or a troublesome meddler, getting into the affairs of others where you have no right to be in. But if you suffer as a Christian... It is for the glory of God and his name, and it's again that name. Peter now might be reflecting even further than the name of Jesus. He might be reflecting on the name. In Hebrew, that would be Yahweh or the Lord in many versions. And he's the covenant-keeping God, not just the covenant-making God, but the one who will faithfully execute what he has promised For if judgment begins with the household of God, it's Malachi 3, isn't it? Did you hear that? Because there it started with the Levites, that he will purify the sons of Levi. And so too with us. He will purify us because we are two of the household of God. We're not the Old Testament community. We're a New Testament community. Nevertheless, we are too, his, house, his household. And then he gives that argument, how much easier it is for us than it is for them that are outside of the covenant of faith. For those who do not obey the gospel of God. 
It is easier for the righteous than those of the godly man, the godless man. Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God. You might be suffering because it is the will of God. Can I say that? It's in our text, isn't it? Why? Because God wants to produce faith in us. Will we stand with him, come what may? And look the way he finishes that line. He found so that we entrust our souls to the faithful creator. That line is only found in the New Testament, that name, the faithful creator. Faithful is an Old Testament name of God, and creator is an Old Testament name. So what is Peter saying? We are his creation, okay? And he is faithful. And that comes out of Jeremiah. Remember the story of the potter and the clay? God is the potter and we are his clay. He will form us to make sure that what is shaped within us will be used for honorable purposes so that we can walk together with him in honor, in glory. Not in our glory, but because we are suffering, we are dying to ourselves so that his glory might be revealed in us. He then switches to chapter 5, and in chapter 5, he then gives us a new outline. And the first thing he talks about is the responsibility of the elders. If you are an elder or pastor around here, that is you. And so he's specifically addressing you. What does he say? Therefore, I exhort the elders amongst you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not with compulsion, but voluntary, according to the will of God, not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, not lording it over them, those that are allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples of the flock, and when the chief shepherd appears, you shall receive an unfading crown of glory. He's addressing the leadership of the church. That, that, that should be clear to us. But how is he addressing? As a fellow elder. He's not saying, hey, he heads to me. I'm a big shot. He had started off that letter that way because he had said he was an apostle. But now he said, beloved and fellow elder, and he's taking a step back and saying, I am with you. This is important, brothers. If you want to be an elder, great. But if you are an elder, what is it that you need to do? Shepherd the flock. Jesus is the good shepherd. That's great. But remember when Peter had denied the Lord three times, the Lord also reinstated him three times. When he reinstated him in John 21, what did he say? Feed my lamb, feed my sheep, tend my sheep. Feed the young, those that are young believers, the new Christians. Feed the mature sheep, the mature Christians and tend over them with great tenderness. God is the 
great shepherd, Psalm 23, who will look after us, who will lead us even in the valley of the shadow of death. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but do it voluntarily. Do it by the grace of God, not for gain, not with eagerness. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive that crown. Let's go to the next slide. There are five crowns mentioned in Scripture, and this is one of them. This is the only one, really, that is meant for leadership. Most of them you can get. The word here is Stephanos, the word for crown. It means wreath. But wreaths back then were made out of laurels, out of flowers, out of leaves, and they would fade away. But Peter is saying, these are crowns that will stay with you during the kingdom days. Imperishable crown for leading a disciplined life. Do you pray? Do you seek the Lord? Do you study? That's what it's called to us. The crown of rejoicing for evangelism and discipleship. You may be an evangelist, and that's great. You can be loud. But perhaps you're a librarian. You're not loud. And it's okay too, but discipleship goes hand in hand. Some of you will be out there evangelizing, but others disciple. Make people grow in the grace and mercy of God. You see, these are set for us, the crown of righteousness for longing for the Lord's appearance. And that's what he's referring to in this passage as well, isn't it? For when the chief shepherd shall appear, it is at his coming. This is for us too. Even if we're not elders, we need to long for his appearance. It's not just saying, oh, I want to have it today, Lord. Come today. It's making sure that the kingdom grows. That you pray for that extension of the kingdom and work within that. The crown of life, enduring trials, even unto death. It's not something that we might, we might long for, but it is something that might happen to some of us. And certainly, enduring trials, these fiery trials that came upon them, there will be times of testing, even within you. So this is what we see. Then finally, just for the leadership, for faithfully shepherding God's flock. And it's something that is according to God's will. He doesn't leave us alone. And in verse 5, the next verse, he has a request to the young people. Uh, don't get me wrong here. Uh, Timothy also was a young man, but he became an elder. And so if you're young and you want to be an elder or a deacon, that's a great thing to do. But just see that difference here for a second. You young men, likewise, be subject to your elders. And all of you clothe yourself with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The word clothe here is an odd word. It's only once used in the New Testament. It really means to put on an apron slave. Slaves had different garments that they put on. And that's what he's referring to here. In other words, humble yourself 
in the sight of the Lord, and He will raise you up. That's the key. Serve one another is what he now starts with. And that quote at the end, for God opposes the proud, comes out of the book of Proverbs. And so he's calling us to study and be aware that it's Old and New Testament, the same message. In verses 5 to 7, he then continues with a request to all. A request to the saints to be humbled and to trust in God. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxieties upon him, because he cares for you. Under the mighty hand of God. For those of you who celebrated Passover, even once in your life, that's a phrase that we repeat at that time. It comes out of the book of Exodus. The mighty hand of God. By that he saved the Jewish people out of the Exodus, out of Egypt into the Exodus. It is that which he used to save us. But it is also something that he will use to oppose the proud and to stand against those who oppose him. And so we either meet God in his loving embrace or we get that hand from God that smacks us because we opposed him. And so he says, therefore humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. Not the hand of the elders, God's mighty hand, that he may raise you up and cast all your anxieties upon him. It's a thing to do, isn't it? All your anxieties. From time to time we will have worries And it's okay. And it's okay to be anxious about some of those things. But cast them upon him. Don't walk around with them. Regurgitating them until they become bigger than mountains. Cast them upon him and say, Lord, I don't know what to do with this, but I know that you. And then leave it with him rather than take it back. These are things that we don't take back because we left it with him. And let him deal with it. However he chooses to deal with it. Comfortable or uncomfortable. In verses 8 to 11, he then says, Be of sober spirit and be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that, the same experiences of suffering being accomplished by your brothers who were in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, conform, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. The Barna Institute at an a Christian research institute in America, actually noted a state of peculiarity. Most American Christians do not believe that Satan or the Holy Spirit exist. It's a shocking statement. Uh, I would be happy to do a poll here. Uh, do you believe, let's, let's start at the, the end, because I know that, that, that I'm safe there. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? Is there anybody who doesn't here? 
Uh, is that a hand up? Or okay, okay. I'm just, I'm just checking. I'm just checking. Great. So all of you do. Uh, do you believe in Satan? Satan is the enemy. And if I was Satan, what would I want to do? Make sure that people don't believe in me because then it's, it's their own fault or their own evil. Or it, it, There's no external pressure. But the Scriptures tell us there are three points about external pressure. And the three points are quite simple. We have the world, the flesh, and the devil. It's so simple, isn't it? And yet, we choose to ignore one of them. And if we do ignore one, what will happen? He will become our victory. He will have mastery over us if we ignore the devil. Because he will attack us at our weakest points. He has studied us. And so we need to study him to understand who he is. Uh, Diablos. Uh, he's a liar, he's a cheat, he's an adversary. Satan, Satan, he's the accuser of the brethren. He did that in Job, and he did that in the book of Zechariah against the high priest there, Joshua. He is conniving, and he studies. He studies your weakness. Perhaps you're familiar with mythology, Greek mythology, Achilles' heel, you've ever heard of that? Well, Achilles went down, dipped into a mythical river by his mother, and she held him, and as she dipped him down, he became basically invincible. But she held him by his ankle. And as she dipped him in, all of him was protected except for that ankle. Satan, too, will look for your Achilles' heel, and he will find it, and he will shoot at that. And so what do we need to do? We need to resist. We need to resist those temptations. Fleeing from the devil won't help. We need to resist. We need to flee from the world. The world will bring us the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. You remember the story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife. What did he do? He saw. She was great looking. But what did he do? Flee. What did David do? David took the bait. And that's the reality. We need to resist. Resisting the devil, denying the flesh, starving it, so that we don't give in to that. It doesn't belong to us anymore. We are now his. We need to allow that to die. And the pride of life, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh are things that we need to flee from so that we don't get tempted by external things. Your adversary, the devil. And what does he do? He goes around, and it's interesting that he goes roaring, isn't it? When does a lion roar? He doesn't go roaring when he's hunting. He will only roar when he has his victim. And so he's going from victim to victim. He, he doesn't need to go into the world because he already has the world. He doesn't need to go into liberal churches who don't believe in him because he's already a winner. And so he will come here as in disrupt. And he will stand against you 
as individuals and you as a community. And that's why we pray for one another. So that we don't fall into weakness. Our Achilles heel. We don't fall for the flesh. And we can withstand together the world. And how do we withstand that? For the God of all grace. And look at the calling that you have and that I have. To his eternal glory. If I would translate this back into Hebrew, it's the word Shekinah. It's God's visible presence among us that has come upon you and come upon me so that we may reflect his glory. God within us. And he will then perfect us, confirm us, strengthen us against our Achilles heel. And Peter concludes with that benediction. To him be dominion forever and ever. So even when you stand in trial and tribulation, remember who is the king. And he will stand with you. Then finally he brings that greeting to you at the very end, verses 12 to 14. And he writes through Silvanus, our faithful brother, for so I regard him. I've written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. And what is it that we stand firm in? Suffering and serving. She who's in Babylon, chosen with you, sent you greetings. And so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace be to all of you who are in Christ. She who's in Babylon. Uh, that's the, the old church in Babylon. The Jewish people, when they were exiled during the Old Testament days of Jeremiah, where did they go? Babylon. And they will stay there well and truly past the New Testament days. And so there's a large Jewish Christian community there. Those that are in Babylon, chosen together with you. Because he wrote to those who are in the diaspora, in the exile amongst the Gentiles in chapter 1. And so he's saying, wherever you are, kiss one another with a kiss of love. If you're like me and you're European and perhaps of Russian background, you're Trinitarian, you kiss three times. If you're French, you only do it twice. If you're of English stock, it's probably just a polite handshake. <laughs> Friends, it's intimacy that he's addressing, isn't it? You see, I, yeah, that, that's nice, but it's, that's almost two meters, isn't it? But kiss one another, stand close to one another, love one another, beloved. As he started off, he finishes. We're one of you. Be close to me, and I'll be close to you. With a kiss of love, not that that's tongue in cheek, that's not it, okay? It's just on the cheek. Shalom to all of you who are in Christ. He is our shalom, He is our peace. Because of what he has done, in Isaiah 53, he is called our peace offering. It is he who gave us his peace, not as the world gives it. 
because that peace will not satisfy. But this is a peace that comes through the grace and mercy of God to you and to me, but only to those who are in Christ. So, brothers, sisters, if you are in Christ, you can have that peace. Despite suffering, or perhaps even in suffering, But if you don't know Christ, you can't have this peace. You might feel at peace from time to time, but this is a different level of peace. And so if you don't know Christ, I'm going to ask you to talk to the person who brought you here today and say, hey, how do I get that peace in all my suffering, in all my trials and tribulations? How do I get that? How can I stand with the God who will perfect the work that he started in you also in me.